and welcome to Friends of the Earth's podcast, How to Save the Planet. I'm Fran and I'm joined by Finn today. Hey Finn. Hey Fran, how's it going? Yeah, good thanks. Uh, You've just started a new role, haven't you? I have indeed, yeah. So I've started as the International Activism Officer uh, with Friends of the Earth. Uh, Naturally with Friends of the Earth because, you know, why else would it be on this podcast? (laughs) Well, it feeds very nicely into today's episode, which is going to be looking at an international element of our network. Yeah, for sure. You know, climate's been on everyone's minds recently. Yeah. certainly been on mine a bit more recently. Um, And I think likewise, more so than I've ever seen before with friends and family. Mm -hmm. Uh, A lot of that's probably down to the extreme weather we've seen. So those the deadly floods like in and around Germany sort of really struck a chord with a lot of people in the uk um the same with the really intense forest fires that have been you know going on sort of happening across the world they're everywhere yeah yeah Yeah. it's never really on our radar to the same extent the effects of climate breakdown in poorer countries around the world so for instance madagascar is is now on the brink of a climate-induced famine. I think it's the first climate-induced famine, the UN has said this. And that's down to the fact there's been no rain in the country for four years. You know, and it's it's really important to keep in mind that the overwhelming majority of people in Madagascar have not contributed meaningfully to the climate crisis at all. And that's why it's an issue of justice at its core. The people that get hit, you know, first and hardest by this crisis are the ones who haven't, cause it and the ones who have the least resources to actually respond to it mm. um and you know the the drivers of the crisis come from the rich parts of the world and come from very powerful sectors of society and that's something that we'll explore a bit today and then we were followed as well this summer weren't we by the um the un climate report the ipcc mm. report that came out which was just a fresh reminder of of the small window we have to use you know to come up with some climate solutions or to act on them actually not to come up with them because we know what they are some of that change we need will be hopefully seen uh, in a few months time at the un climate talks which is to be hosted in glasgow it's the perfect moment really to be putting pressure on um the securing action we need it's our government that's hosting it um but at the same time you know, proposed oil fields in the North Sea and a coal mine in Cumbria, uh, still funding fossil fuel projects abroad in places like Mozambique and can't claim to be the leaders that they say they are on climate while they finance these sorts of projects. Yeah. So Friends of the Earth are going to be um, joining loads of other organisations and hosting events both online and offline uh, and a global day of action, Saturday, 6th of November. So please do watch out for more details about how you can get involved. Yeah, for sure. I definitely encourage anyone who's listening to get in touch with a group nearby or or with an event nearby for the Global Day of Action on the 6th of November. Even if you want to go along and just sort of watch it or, or, or see what it's about, groups that are that are doing something for for the day will be more than happy to have you along. So if you head to uh, takeclimateaction.uk, there's a whole section on the UN Climate Talks COP26 where you can find out a little bit more. If you need a little inspiration, today's episode, we will be looking at success, uh, a massive win for people and planet that happened earlier this summer when a Dutch court ruled that oil giant Shell 
must reduce its emissions by 45% in the next nine years by 2030. This is the first time a judge has held a corporation liable for climate impacts. And today's guest is Nina de Pata from Netherlands Friends of the Earth, Milieu de Finissie, sorry about the pronunciation there, who filed the case alongside other organisations uh, and thousands of individual claimants. She's going to tell us a little bit about the case and what it means for the future. Before we get to the interview... Just wanted to let you know that this will be our last episode for a little while. We're taking a short break until the new year, when we'll be back with more great episodes exploring the campaigning work from Friends of the Earth and other groups fighting to save the planet. Now let's hear from Nina. So, Nina, do you want to start off by introducing yourself and saying a bit about what you do? Yeah, well, thank you for having me. I am Nina de Pater. Uh, I work for Friends of the Earth Netherlands. We call it Milieu Defensie. And uh, I am working on the court case against Shell. My role was basically to make sure that everything that we did and said in the court case was correct, was scientifically right, and uh, also make sure that the campaign uh, was well uh, coordinated with the legal case. How long had you been working on the case for? Well, Milieu Defensie has, has before, like we won, I think five years of preparation. Uh, but I came in a little bit later, so I worked for Milieu Defensie for three and a half years. Could you, I suppose, in that, tell us what the result was and, and maybe a, a quick word on what exactly the case was? So a couple of years ago, we decided that we we could not wait any longer for uh, Shell, the big oil and gas company, to take its responsibility by itself. We tried through campaigns, we tried to lobbying and all different tactics, but well, nothing really changed. So we saw one more resource and that was going to court. Uh, So we sued Shell in a climate court case where we uh, basically asked the judge to force Shell to reduce its CO2 emissions. Uh, so we did not ask for money or compensation. We mainly asked for Shell to reduce its CO2 emissions. Well, that was back in 2018. Then the whole legal procedure started and there was a lot of written argumentation. Uh, we had our hearings in December uh, 2020. And then uh, May, there was the verdict and yeah, we won. So the judge agreed with us and now Shell has to reduce its CO2 emission with 45% in 2030. So they have nine years to almost half their emissions. And and that was this year, wasn't it, in May? Yeah. Like, were you there at the courthouse when that decision came in? Yeah. Yeah. Oh. So yeah, this this day was, was amazing. Uh there were, of course, there were uh, COVID restrictions, so we were not able to be there with the whole team. And well, you want to have an audience normally, but that was not possible. So we were there with a very small team, just the lawyers, our director, and the people who were working on the legal argumentation. Uh, and I'm well, I was one of the lucky ones that was allowed in the courtroom. And yeah, it was amazing to be there. Of course, I mean, it was a historical win. And I've been working on it so hard. Uh, we made a lot of extra hours to get everything done. And then, yeah, this was the best outcome we could possibly hope for. I can well imagine. A lot of tears, a lot of smiles. <laughs> mm. Yeah, I can imagine that when um, the restrictions ease a bit, there's going to be a big celebration. Yeah. This isn't the first time that an organization has tried to take Shell to court, is it? Yeah, that's right. It is the 
it, it, there are, especially in the United States, there are some court cases against Shell, but those are all very different from ours because they are about the damages that come from climate change and then compensation to pay for these damages. And what we did was a very different approach. We said, what is most needed now is that Shell reduces its CO2 emissions. So that's what we asked for. But yeah, there are more cases against Shell, mostly in the United States, also about climate change and about their knowledge. I wonder, could you maybe say a a little bit more about that? Yeah, this was also a big part of our argumentation. There's a lot of evidence uh, that shows that Shell knew about the impact of uh, climate change already uh, in the early 80s and uh, earlier in the 60s there were already we we found documents uh, talking about climate change uh, internal documents from shell and in the 80s they published a very very good i would say report about the about climate change about the causes of climate change and also the impact of climate change and that showed that shell knew very well what their uh, what the impact of climate change would be and also their own role and responsibility within this crisis. Instead of changing their business model and warning everyone, they decided to keep it quiet, even counter climate ambitious climate policy. So what they did was lobbying against climate policy and they improved the construction of their oil platforms to make them resilient to the impact of sea level rise or heavy storms. So Shell did the opposite of what they should have done. Yeah, so that's I think that's already horrible. And then instead of uh, reducing their their own CO two emissions, they only kept on growing. Uh, so that was that was a big part of our case. And and luckily, some journalists in Netherlands in the Netherlands were able to get these internal documents from Shell that showed all of their knowledge. It often feels like when you're involved in this work, there's sort of two two fronts that the fossil fuel industry is sort of egregious on or that you have to sort of take them on and one of them is that you know just expanding its business model all the time and what it's known about climate change historically and you know only digging in deeper with yeah. you know with the with a system that's that's put us bang in the middle of a crisis but i guess the other one as well you know the human rights abuses that the fossil fuel industry is often involved in and one of the famous ones in relation to shell is the assassination of the agoni 9 and, and ken sarawira in nigeria um there's of course a friends of the earth organization in nigeria who would be involved in this and would be very up on it um and there's actually a room in a in our friends of the earth offices uh, that's named after ken sarawira so oh, it wow. seems like i don't know it would be It'd be really interesting to hear if you sort of drew from that story in your campaigning and maybe also just to say a few words about what happened in that case in, in the Niger Delta. Yeah, well, we've been doing another court case against Shell that was specifically about their impact in Nigeria. So Shell is, I think, for 60 or, or maybe even longer, they have been getting oil from Nigeria onshore, and that caused a lot of problems. So there have been a lot of oil leakages, uh, corruption, uh, and people are still living in, I would say, a hell because of the oil that is everywhere. So they're not able to, to go fishing, crops cannot grow, so farming is almost impossible. 
uh, people are getting sick from the uh, oil pollution in their drinking water. Almost every day there are still messages about places where new oil comes uh, leaks out of the pipes. And, and that's all uh, Shell's property. That's all Shell's activity. So Shell has brought a lot of uh, horrible stuff to Nigeria and ruined a big part of the Niger Delta. I think the area that is polluted with uh, oil is almost as big as the Netherlands. Imagine how large this this area is that and and people are not able to make a living there. Child death is is extremely high in this area, uh, much higher than the rest of Nigeria. And Shell is not taking the responsibility to clean up these uh, leakages. Many years ago, there were groups that were protesting this, and uh, one of their uh, or, or their leaders were killed by well, what they say by government by the government. But well, probably it, it looks like Shell was also involved, and and everything shows that Shell was involved with this. So there is a case right now. Um, that, that the widows of these men that were killed are doing against Shell to yeah to get their their justice. So that's one thing. But also the other victory actually we had in 2021 uh, in January was a court case that was going on for 13 years with Nigerian farmers against uh, Shell headquarters. Uh, based in the Netherlands, and that's why we work together with these Nigerian farmers. We finally won the case, which means that Shell has to pay compensation to these, to the victims, to these farmers, but also the other people in the village, and clean up the mess. So that was also a big victory, actually. And this is only one village. And uh, well, we know that the area is much bigger than one village, so it's not the end of the problems in Nigeria, but at least... For the first time, Shell was held responsible by a judge. This is what Shell does. At the one hand, they the local impact. They they don't respect human rights. They only go for more oil, more gas. And we are really afraid that this will happen in more places because Shell still wants to expand in, in the global south. At the same time, with climate change, the judge in the climate court case also said that by continuing to emit CO2, therefore causing dangerous climate change, Shell's also violating human rights in general because the climate crisis is a threat to to human rights. That court case that you mentioned, uh, I think we mentioned it in an earlier podcast about the win um, for the farmers and it was a really good demonstration of just what international pressure and working together with different groups can achieve. Mm -hmm. I know that um, in this particular court case, there were, was it 17,000 plaintiffs that were working together with you and a few other organizations? Who were these thousands of people who jumped on the court case? (laughs) Yeah, I don't know all of them. (laughs) (laughs) 17,000 people who are living in the Netherlands. So as long as you have a Dutch address, you you were able to, to join the court case. These were people, these people agreed with us. They said, okay, this is, we have to draw a line. Shell cannot continue doing what they are doing. Yeah, we had such a great time getting all these people behind us. We organized uh, evenings in local pubs uh, where people could come and get information. We had discussion evenings um, and then people could sign up. And all they had to do was pay one euro uh, as a symbolic contribution to the court case and and of course give them give us their address and sign the legal contract yeah it showed that so many people were 
behind our case. And even after it was, at some point, it was not possible anymore to sign up as a co-plaintiff because we started the case. I had so many messages from people, can I still join? Um, or if I am not, if I cannot join the court case, is it possible to donate? Uh, because also, like many people paid more than one euro. They said, oh, I want to give you more. <laughs> so almost the whole court case has been crowdfunded. So there are 70,000 co-plaintiffs, but there are m- many more supporters that uh, supported us through the case. That's just incredible that the court case was predominantly crowdfunded and that you had 17,000 people joining you. Yeah, it's just it just sounds like it was so well done. Do you have any thoughts on why it's been difficult up to this point to hold fossil fuel companies and corporations to account? I think one of the the main problems we have when it comes to fossil fuel or polluting companies, uh, big emitters and climate policies is that these companies are often not operating in one country. So they can kind of find the loopholes in the law in every country that they operate in. Maybe in the Netherlands, Shell has to reduce its emissions, but that's within the borders of the Netherlands. And as soon as they, as you look elsewhere, then maybe Shell has a lot of flexibility or more space to, to continue polluting. Uh, and that is one of the biggest challenges that we are all facing. So it's not just Shell, but it is all these fossil fuel companies that are uh, multinationals and therefore not limited by the laws in one country. So what these companies are doing is making sure that they that their so-called scope three emissions, and that's a bit of a different difficult word, but that basically means the emissions by burning the fuels, so the emissions from the customers. So when when I buy gas from Shell and I burn it, then these emissions are called scope three. The emissions from that are not directly linked to a factory or uh, one specific big company in within the borders are often not regulated. And that's why these fossil fuel companies, they, they say that's not our responsibility. We just sell the, the gas to the, to the consumers and they burn it. So it's their fault. You have to go to the consumer or you have to go to the government. And that's how they were able to get away with it all this time. What we said in our court case is Shell is the headquarter is headquartered in the Netherlands. So it, that's why we can go to court in the Netherlands and also go for the and for the whole company, the Shell global company and not just for Shell in the Netherlands. Uh, that's quite in, unique. So it's it's the first time that Shell was not able to hide behind these kind of arguments that it is the fault of the government or it's the fault of the Consumer. One thing that I, I know the movement in the UK finds that makes it a challenge to hold companies, corporations accountable as well. It are these really slick PR machines that they have and, you know, sponsorship deals that they enter into. So there's one that's actually that's actually current news at the moment in London where the Science Museum has an exhibition that's sponsored by Shell called I think it's Our Future Planet. So it's it's all about um carbon capture and storage so yeah. this is basically types of technology that generally either haven't been invented or they're not really workable at scale at the moment and there's sort of solutions that the fossil fuel industry sort of trots out around these technologies and there's just been a whole load of really dodgy stuff going on like uh, as far as i understand it the exhibition itself actually 
has some props from uh, the youth strikers being used in this uh, science museum exhibition. And some London-based youth strikers went in there to try and, you know, hold a protest and make a point about this and were actually escorted out by uh, by the police. And then as, as well as that, since then, uh, it's come to light that there's actually been a gagging order put in place uh, on on staff who work in the science museum. So essentially that means that Shell and the science museum have signed this contract saying that no staff can say anything negative about Shell uh, while they're working in the museum. And it can only be a sort of positive PR exercise and give a good spin. The irony of it being the science museum as well, of all. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. They should know better. (laughs) Yeah. 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 When, you know, we know, we know from the IPCC report, this has to like rapidly decline and we have to stop expanding the business models of these companies that we can't keep looking for new reserves. The stuff we already have that, that these companies have found already is unburnable. We actually can't burn it if we're going to stand a chance of, of avoiding really like catastrophic warming. It's probably just worth quickly mentioning that this isn't um, just specific to Shell. I mean, all of the major oil companies do this. And that's before we even get into the fact that they're still, you know, part of lobbying groups that actively pressure governments to stall any meaningful action on climate change, which is just shocking. Lately, we've been seeing so many signs of us winning, but I also really feel that this is a victory of the climate movement or the movement against fossil fuel industry. It gave so many people hope. And that is, I think, one thing, apart from the fact that we are getting closer to uh, a fossil-free society, also these wins really give the climate movement hope to continue and to go on. Uh, So that was Mm. our court case. But also when we look at a, a, a difference of communication about the fossil fuel industry now compared to a couple of years ago. For example, this IPCC report, Secretary General of the UN said that this might that this leads to the end of the fossil fuel industry. And that is unique. Like two mm-hmm. years ago, it was a taboo to even talk about the fossil fuel industry, even at the climate conferences of the UN. It was barely spoken of. And yeah. A couple of years later, although it doesn't, it, I mean, it is just some words from a guy that is, has a lot of influence, but he doesn't, he's not, he doesn't have the power to actually end the fossil fuel industry. But the fact that he is saying this shows that we made so much progression with like the progress that we've made with the movement. This, these these t- kind of things show us that we are, that we are on the right direction. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So... We talked, you know, Finn, you mentioned there about some of the actions that you've participated in. And I think that leads quite nicely on to any plans, uh, Nina, that you guys in Milio Definitely have got ahead of the UN climate talks in Glasgow. Well, we are already focusing on the next step in this court case because Shell announced to appeal. Well, we are we are very confident that we will be able to even to also stand in the higher court, but uh, that's of course something that we need to work on. Um, but one of the things that that came out of the of our uh, win against Shell is that we can now 
look into how to hold other companies accountable because there are many things within the verdict that we can use against other polluting companies so fossil fuel companies but other but also uh companies with that are not directly fossil fuel companies but have a big uh, carbon footprint. So I think the next step leading up to the uh, climate talks in, in November is analyzing the verdict even more and also work with legal experts, work with experts from uh, from the industry to see how we can use this verdict to keep to hold other companies accountable. And uh, yeah, turn up the heat, make the turn up the pressure. So they, well, hopefully they w- will will change themselves before they have to go to court. <laughs> Because that's that's another irony, isn't it? That in the past, some of these climate talks have been co-sponsored by fossil fuel, fuel companies. I remember a big action around um, a former a, a climate talk in Poland where the coal industry made a huge uh, yeah. impression. <laughs> so it's just ironies after ironies with these guys. But it shows that they are still very uh, much accepted by our policymakers. We also want to increase the the pressure on our governments to no longer accept them to be to be on the table, to be part of the discussion, especially at those places where we're talking about climate change. Yeah, absolutely. I couldn't agree more. And with that in mind, do you have any specific plans uh, for for COP or the, the UN climate talks in Glasgow? Yeah, in the Netherlands, we will also be joining the global mobilization, uh, I believe on the 6th of November. So there will be well, a protest. I'm not, we, we are not, we are preparing it with the coalition of all the different climate groups right now. It also depends, of course, on all the restrictions that if they are still there and how they, that will turn out. But there will definitely be a mobilization in the Netherlands. Um, and I personally am going to Glasgow uh, with a couple of colleagues to talk about this climate litigation and the impact that it can have. Uh, And hopefully more cases will come out of it Uh, at the COP. Beside from lobbying our government to take more uh, ambitious climate policies and to take a better position within the negotiations, we will also uh, try to talk to others uh, who might be interested in starting uh, court cases and see how we can help them with all the lessons that we've learned. That will be really valuable sharing. I think that ends our chat with you. Um, congratulations again on the incredible win that you and your team secured. Uh, I think you're right and it really does pave the way for looking at what else we can do about bringing corporations um, to justice. So thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. And also thank you for all the hard work preparing for all the actions in November because I'm really looking forward to uh, join those. Yeah, hopefully we'll meet in real life. Thanks, Nina. Bye. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening. As you may have heard, this is our last podcast for a little while as we're taking a break until the new year. In the meantime, we'll be busy planning for the Global Day of Action and activities around the UN Climate Talks in Glasgow. Do remember to check out what we're up to on takeclimateaction.uk.